Hello, this is Johnny Klein, and thank you for your continued support following, listening to, and being a part of the community on the pursuit of wealth, where the H is surrounded by abundance. We continue to have inspiring conversations on deep health to nutrition, NLP, uh, fitness, mindfulness, mindset, an abundant way of healthy living. Some podcasts coming up, including art therapy, trauma release, naturopathy, and a lot of other interesting and amazing topics. So keep on the lookout for that. Let us know what you want to see or hear on the pursuit of wealth by messaging us or commenting on any of our social media platforms. Now tune in to today's episode where we talk about another deep health nutritious conversation. Today we have Stacy Boyer. Uh, Stacy is a clinical psychologist based out of Florida who does telehealth and works with patients um, to overcome their PTSD, to recognize and understand the mental illness, and also create practices of mental health awareness, appreciation, and self-gratitude. Join in the conversation as we talk with Stacy. My name is Stacy Boyer. Um, I am a mental health counselor in South Florida. Uh, I specialize in anxiety, depression, and PTSD. Um, my office, although I'm exclusively doing telehealth now, my office is a mile away from uh, Stoneman Douglas High School, which your listeners might recall um, there was a mass shooting gosh, I guess it was three or four years mm-hmm. ago now. Um, and ironically, today, uh, the trial is beginning for the person that um, killed all 17 of those people. So um, PTSD has become, you know, a big part of, of my practice as well, where um, I work a lot with teachers and students and parents with uh, EMDR, which is a type of therapy working, you know, helping towards PTSD. Um, also another type of therapy called RTM for PTSD. Um, but also anxiety, cognitive behavior therapy, positive psychology, mindfulness, meditation um, for anxiety uh, and depression um, and PTSD as well. So that's kind of what I do. That's great. And, you know, our mental health, I think finally people are recognizing that it's such an integral part of physical health, but I think there's still a lot of stigma with it and a lot of difficulty acknowledging the mental health side of things. And we think PTSD, the first thing that people I talk to associate that with soldiers and war, not realizing that there are all kinds of trauma that that we experience. And the same with anxiety and depression, I think are terms that are sometimes loosely used, um, but but really serious um, conditions. I've seen it firsthand in in friends and family members. Can you explain a little bit about each, I don't wanna say disorder, but I don't know what else to call them, each each thing um, and what they are and how to, you know, how to to really define it and how to understand some of the symptoms for someone that may be experiencing anxiety, uncomfortability. Maybe they suffered some trauma in the past and are still dealing with something, but also trying to suppress it in being able to categorize each of those. Because I know there's a lot of uh, minute um, 
similarities between these, but also some major differences. Yes. So, and you're absolutely right, hitting upon the fact that, yes, somebody that experiences a, a school shooting, of course, there's PTSD, but that doesn't belittle anybody else's PTSD and what, what anybody else has gone through. And that goes for anxiety and depression, too. There are so many different levels and um, types of, of dealing with that. And of course, whatever therapy you're doing, it might not work for you and something else might work for you. So, for example, EMDR, you might not find that working and then there's always something else. And of course, the connection with the therapist is huge as well. Um, but you're right, anxiety and depression, there is an overlap for a lot of people, not everyone, uh, but it does overlap. Um, if you were gonna get a clinical diagnosis, you'd have to go into the, um, you know, the, the clinical book and look at all, you know, what you have to go through and experience, which is two weeks of a certain list of things. Um, of course, there's generalizing anxiety disorder, there's social anxiety, there's so many different kinds. And the thing is with the diagnosis, it doesn't mean it's forever. There are tools and skills and things you can learn to help. Um, and also there is medication and it isn't a failure if you have to be on medication for a period of time to help you through this. That coupled with uh, talk therapy has had so much success for so many people. Um, but the idea of getting over something, for example, is PTSD. It is part of your story. What you went through is part of your story, but the therapy kind of helps you not experience the PTSD symptoms associated with that. So for example, if you were in a situation that caused PTSD, uh, perhaps it was night terrors you're experiencing, clammy hands, racing heart, lack of sleep, abusive behavior. So the hope is that you don't experience those symptoms, but yet you still went through that. So it, it's not like a magical thing where what you went through disappears. It is always going to be there and part of your story. And just using the example of the Stoneman Douglas children and families, so many of them did go on to join the school board, write books, become, uh, start the March of um, March for Our Lives in Washington, a lot of the students started. So they used this to do something wonderful to kind of benefit the world, which is amazing. And that's really the goal of it. Um, yes, but depression, there are all kinds of symptoms, not getting out of bed, feeling like you're underwater, feeling like you can't get out from under the covers. Um, dealing with panic attacks, for example, important to tell yourself that nobody's ever died from a panic attack. You will get through this. But of course, when you're in it and you're suffering, yeah. the idea of getting out, you know, you, you can't even comprehend that. Um, but it is possible with, with hard work. Well, and I, I think in, in these days we have, um, there's, there's a fine line, I guess, between, you know, a sense of overwhelm and a sense of, you know, life is just kind of pressing down on you and, and transitioning into a clinical diagnosis, right? Because our stress levels generally as a population are so high because we have so many unrealistic expectations of what we can do, what we should do, you know, family, especially being in the sandwich generation, as it were, caring for kids and aging parents and that kind of thing. And, you know, what, like, how how to care one of the one of the books that i've read or i'm reading actually is very interesting it's called the body keeps the score are you familiar mm -hmm. with that one yes yes uh-huh 
Mm -hmm. There's also a book like The Mind-Body Connection by Dr. Sarno, which is a wonderful one, showing the connection of stress and anxiety and how it really affects your body in all different ways. But yes. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's amazing the physical ramifications of those, those illnesses. I mean, yeah. can, can you talk a little bit more about about that kind of absolutely and you touched upon something interesting that like the sandwich generation and the i shoulds and that's where anxiety comes from all the i should do this and what if and what if and so when we're thinking and perseverating on the future ruminating on the future that's where anxiety comes from and you know, when we're thinking about the past and, oh, I should have done this and what if this, that's where potentially depression, uh, languishing sadness can come in. So ideally, which of course is easier said than done, which everything is, is to be in the moment and to be mindful and to practice mindfulness practices to keep us in the moment. Yes, sometimes we do have to think of the future realistically, mm -hmm. but for the most part, to be grounded using all kinds of grounding tools, which I'm sure, you know, using your five senses to get you in the present moment, meditation, all that kind of, you know, things that are out there really helps with, with remaining um, centered and really, really does help. The deep breathing to start with, the, you know, all the different kinds of breathing, the finger breathing, the square breathing, just to kind of get you back. And then using your five senses to, for example, five things you see, four things you smell, three things you hear, like in your center right where you are to kind of draw you back in um, is really helpful when dealing with anxiety in particular. That's great that you said that. I also noticed um, talking with a few that have dealt with ADHD and ADD using mm -hmm. the five, four, three, two, one, five things you see, four things you smell, three you sense. Um, that's also really effective because as one, one person that I talked to explained it, she's able to keep her mind moving because a person with ADHD, they can only focus on things for so long and then lose interest and have to refocus. So doing the five, four, three, they're able to redirect and still have a sort of anchoring and grounding, but that anchoring continues to move. Yes. Oh, I love that. And I think, you know, someone with ADHD, if they're recommended to do meditation, you know, it's like, are you kidding me? But the active meditation, like the nature meditations where you're not focusing on nothing, but if your mind starts to wander, immediately focus on something in nature. And also, you know, just with ADHD and anxiety too, with the keeping something in your back backpack or pocket that you could focus on. So putting, you know, a stress ball or a crystal or, you know, whatever on you. And instead of focusing Focusing on those thoughts, oh, okay, the ball is round, the ball is mushy, the ball is soft, like focusing on something else. So at least your, your mind is going, uh, but you're not focusing on what you kind of don't want to be focusing on. Yeah. yeah, I want to touch on that in just a second. Um, but as you said, in Florida, there were, um, there was that massive school shooting. You know, it's something that in America is just, unfortunately, a part of the culture that we live in now. It's so common. It's so rampant. Um, when I was in school, uh, in grade 10, we had a school shooting. I was in Millard South High School in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and it was, it caught on the news for like a day on CNN. Not even. Uh, but I tell you, it was a bizarre experience. It was about... If I can recount the memory for you, uh, we were having lunch. It was about 11.45, and we were maybe 10 minutes away from the end of lunch. And 
It was also the first day back from a long uh, winter break. The first day back. So we were just, you know, fresh off talking with old friends and it sounded like a clap. I thought it was just, you know, a loud bag popping something. I didn't think anything of it. Um, I looked back, uh, but then about two or three minutes later, everyone down, go in the, uh, go in the cafeteria, go put your heads down. There's been a school shooting. I was like, is this a joke? Are we, <laughs> but of course we all went there. Everyone started to check their phones, what the updates were. And a part of that was that there was some misinformation going on from what we were also being told. There was a lot of panic. No one really knew exactly what was going on. And I can tell that some of the students who have faced a shooting before, because a few years ago there was a shooting at a mall, they have felt that same anxiety, that same, oh my goodness, what is happening right now? Heavy breathing. For me, I, I couldn't really process it. I just had to keep my cool. I was glad I was safe. Um, but then just watching it, that deep sadness of watching that or hearing about that kid then committing suicide as he drove down, he killed the principal, he shot the vice principal. It was a really a rude awakening coming back. But I tell you, one of the most gratifying uh, comebacks since I was in choir was that there was a song written that all of the choir got together very emotional to perform a few months later. It was a beautiful song for the principal and dedication to her. And that allowed all of the school and all of us to come together to really create this moment of singing, of healing. And had we not done that, or have any of the school not done these unifying, there would just be an emptiness. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of schools, a lot of shootings, a lot of, a lot of tragedies go just un, unhealed. And that's where a lot of this uh, PTSD a lot of this unhealing, a lot of this pushing down the emotions, because in America, we're taught to just man up, to just be strong, yeah. have that competition, um, and, and to keep your health and to keep, you know, pushing it, pushing it until the edge. And then we wonder why we have mental health, stress, and I don't know. Uh, hopefully some of this <laughs> catches on to you so that wow. you can reflect. Wow. I can't believe, you know, and it's to think that that's something that a lot of us don't remember or didn't even hear about, that it's just so baffling to think that these things are happening all the time and nothing yeah. changes. And I am so sorry that you went through that. And I'm so you can kind of understand and empathize with like the students yeah. here and everywhere else. And it's probably almost a trigger for you, I would think, um, when you see these things on the news. Like, does it? Yeah, like loud gunshots, like that always makes me jump for sure. 
Horrible, horrible. And I do, I love how you said the rituals because yes, it was a similar thing here where they, um, there was a song called Shine, a beautiful song that the choir made and sang and um, there were vigils and every year on the date. But I think you're right. Something is to be said about a ritual or people after something horrible happens coming together, like just groups of people together to kind of grieve together, to talk together about it because uh, it's so confusing and it's so hard to even wrap your head around but having something uh, to bring people together is really really important I hope they kind of did that at your school as well you know kind of yeah they did our song was called you are the fearless rose I remember every word of it too to this day that's great but it's yeah I and I think that having that sense of community and that sense of shared emotion that connection I mean I you know, I didn't have school shootings. I'm too old for that. But, you know, we didn't have those things in our day. But um, but 9-11, you know, I don't remember Americans coming together so much in certainly in my lifetime, maybe since Kennedy, um, just, you know, that really that really was a pivotal moment in our in our country. And, you know, we're over here and I live in Italy, which, of course, has been through multiple wars and socialist and fascist leadership and you know so many different experiences in in you know i mean it's it's all italy has only been a unified country for a little bit less than the us has been a country right I recognize a unified country and um but it's it obviously there's a very deep deep history here and so how we process these things and italians kind of resilience and europeans resilience because of the the history that they learn so well. And I think, I think that some of those coping tools are, are cultural, I guess. And in the States, because these things are, our culture is sort of scattered because we have so many different cultures coming together in one place. And so I think the coping mechanisms are, are maybe not as clear to a lot of people. And so, like you say, there's no shame in taking medication if you need it. Just like when you get, when you have an illness, a short-term illness, and you need to take medicine to help you get over it. Um, but I, I think that in a lot of cases, medicine doesn't have to be the first step, right? And that's kind of our mentality in the US. It's our coping mechanism. And so I'm really curious if you could go into a little more detail about some of the other therapies. We talked about mindfulness and breath work. And I don't know, was it EDMR? I don't know what that is. Um, if you could just explain a little bit of, of the benefits of some of those more natural approaches. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just just like to piggyback on what you said, people like you putting it out there really in all the other podcasts and things really help to destigmatize. And also, you know, like uh, Prince Harry and other famous people talking about mental health. I think it really, really helps. Um, and I think more people I see are getting therapy and more men, um, you know, they'll say, my wife really wanted me to go and oh, I don't really want to be here. And then by the end, it's like, wow, why didn't I, why haven't I done this? You know, this is really like a massage for my brain. I get a massage for my body. Why am I not like doing this? Um, but yes, so uh, for example, cognitive behavior therapy is a uh, really popular one and works well for anxiety and depression. And that's basically questioning your own thoughts. You know, we 
maybe were raised where you just acknowledge what people tell you and believe it is truth or whatever it is. Maybe you were bullied growing up and there's a thought that's planted in your mind and you believe it. Um, and maybe through therapy, you realize, wow, I don't have to believe every thought that's in my mind. As a matter of fact, I have, you know, whatever it is, 6,000 thoughts a day and like 80% of them are not really mm, accurate. So why am I believing all these thoughts that are in my mind? So cognitive behavior therapy kind of helps us question our thoughts. Is this reality? Is this accurate? Um, what's a different way of looking at it? What would I tell a friend who came to me in the same situation? Uh, is this thought going to matter in a year, two years, five years? Um, so it's different questioning and thought process to kind of reframe your thoughts and make them healthy. You know, basically, if a thought isn't propelling you in the right direction, why are you having this thought? Why are you almost like abusing yourself with the negative thoughts that really are not helpful um, in any way? So cognitive behavior therapy is kind of based on that. Um, I love that. And I just one comment about that. And I think we, we've said this before, thoughts are not facts. Mm. And we forget mm -hmm. that. So I love that idea. Yeah. And sometimes they're just drilled in from years and years of our upbringing. And, you know, it takes a lot of strength to say, wow, you know what my dad, what my mom, what my uncle, you know, told me, well, I don't really have to believe that that's not true. And that's not helping me in any way. And it's actually harming me. Um, so yeah, that it's kind of based on that. And, and with cognitive behavior therapy, sometimes a therapist will uh, give homework or different assignments and, and things, you know, to do journaling, um, you know, all that kind of stuff, because journaling is actually a really helpful tool uh, for depression and anxiety too. And sometimes getting those thoughts out on paper, not that anybody is ever going to see it. You could even rip it up. It could be scribbled um, is a really uh, helpful and wonderful tool. Um, also a, a great tool helping with depression is gratitude. I think you sort of mentioned that, you know, waking up with gratitude and some days it's harder than other days, but waking up and for the first thing is to say something you're grateful for. And actually there've been studies that if you could throughout the day, find things to be grateful for, it really shifts your mindset um, through practice. EMDR is a little different because it's not really talk therapy. And again, it's not for everyone. Um, if you, I was in the office, they are, uh, they're tappers. So um, you hold one in one hand and one in the other hand and they vibrate and it's a bilateral stimulation. So the idea is while you're talking, you're stimulating different uh, areas of your brain. Um, if we do it online, it's a tapping motion where you put the right hand on the left shoulder, the left hand on the right shoulder, and um, it's a specific type of tapping. And you do therapy that way. And it's sort of um, an I statement. I'm hoping all this makes sense because I'm kind of trying to be brief. You basically are telling yourself an I statement that, again, isn't factual. Like if some sort of abuse transpired, maybe subconsciously you have in your mind, I'm not worried. Worthy. I deserved to have this. I'm not smart, you know, some something like that. So it works towards switching that I message and making it more accurate and more healthy through uh, bilateral stimulation. Is that is that somehow related to EFT or are they completely different? No, I'm not that familiar with EFT. So EFT I'm, or tapping where you tap the on. Tapping, yeah. yes. Um, okay, so tapping, which I do recommend to people, although I'm not, uh, I don't have certification in it. Tapping is a great thing, again, to for um, ADHD or to take your mind off things. There's been so many studies or even working your way up the body with tapping. But, you know, EMDR is a, is a little different because it's, it, um, there's more kind of therapy, I guess, involved okay, in it. Sure. 
um, and it kind of like lasts longer, let's say. Um, so there's that. Um, mindfulness, all kinds of activities to gear towards mindfulness. Um, and let's see, what other therapies do I work with? Positive psychology. Um, but mainly CBT is, is one that is most helpful for depression and anxiety. Sure. What, what got you into this field to begin with? Well, I was a teacher for years and years and years and years, um, and I had a master's in education and I became a teacher specialist and then my kids were born and I stopped and I was home with them for years. And then when my youngest one went to school, I thought, you know what, I want to do this. I've always wanted to get into psychology and now I, I think it's important to do this. So when they went to school, I kind of went back to school again and pursued what I wanted because it's never too late, right? You're never too old to pursue what you want to do. And I did it gotcha. and, um, and it was great and I loved it. And I worked in homeless shelters and, um, and then all kinds of things. And then I went into private practice and then lo and behold, COVID hit and you know, who knew? And so then we were scrambling and doing everything online and it seemed to reach even more people uh, doing therapy therapy online because you could do it from your backyard or your car or the beach or, you know, wherever you are. And um, of course, for those that are in abusive situations at home, that was a little trying. Um, but for the most part, people seem to really enjoy and thrive through uh, virtual therapy. Um, and with COVID, I've now been dealing with so many people with different types of stressors because of, of COVID, and it's brought out so many other things um, through that. So that's been a big part of, of my practice at this point, too, getting people the courage to go back out into the world. Because um, just for one example, there was someone uh, I was working with that really never had anxiety before. And then all of a sudden, COVID, um, she wouldn't leave the house, couldn't leave the house like an agoraphobia kind of thing. And I think that's become, you know, really common too. So working on skills, exposure therapy is a big one to get people kind of like back into the world again. Um, but COVID for children and for adults has been, you know, obviously a huge stressor. Oh yeah. And I think of the dent it's put into our social skills. I mean, real life is a whole lot different than video calls. Yes. Right? And I mean, we're, thank God we have this technology. I mean, we're all three of us connecting from different continents. You know, we're, we're glow. We have a global audience. We have, you know, global membership, but, but, and it, and it's, it's fantastic. But at the same time, it's that human connection that we still really need that energy as it were, I think. Absolutely. And I think, that you also don't see the body language and that's a big part of therapy too you know there's lots of things you know that are missing with it the 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 4d of life which we which we need the, the human interaction and even people that are introverts um or people that aren't stimulated by being around a lot of people we are you know, humans that need contact with others and it, it's it's really starved us of that for so long yeah. Who have you seen that it, um, <clears throat> or what kind of population that you work with, does it, 
effect to a greater extent would you say it's the working professionals in some degree would you say it's the high school students that you work with some degree because each of us deal with the different challenges different struggles for high school students it's such a key part of life is to have class in person maybe not the class because we ditched a lot <laughs> but to <laughs> Yeah, but to connect together um, outside of class in the lunchroom, outside playing sports, and we've missed that for two years coming back now. And for the working professionals, it's the water cooler talk um, outside of the working meetings. And now it's mostly Zoom meeting, but there's no real small talk unless we plan it out. And that's it's really awkward. So for you, what what kinds of things have you seen on that front? So as far as the teens, to be perfectly honest, I've seen an influx in eating disorders because eating disorders is a disease based on control. Um, I know it's interesting and I, I, you know, I wish someone would kind of do a study with that, but it's almost like, you know, these children that maybe they are stuck in their home and have controlling parents and feel like they don't have any control over their life. They can't be with their friends. They're not free. And they're feeling perhaps that the only thing they can control is maybe their weight or what they're eating, or what they're not eating. Um, so in that aspect, that's kind of disturbing. And I wonder, you know, in years to come, these children that haven't had experiences, even like the elementary school or these little ones that have been born have only seen people in mass for two or three years. Like, how is that really going to affect them in their in the future? Um, I, I, for example, I have a, a, a daughter um, who went to college this year. She's a freshman in college. And, you know, she, just to, to be out there and be around other people, it's just, oh, my gosh, just she's so much different and happier. And um, I think it's it's affected them more than we even realize. And you're absolutely right. The water cooler talk, the way to, to that's how we bond with others, even if it's one second in the lunchroom or something. When you don't have that, it's almost like you don't realize what you're missing. But that's a huge component of being social beings. And um, I'd like to think it's it's happening again and people are getting out there again. But it's yeah. been really well, I find, I mean, for me, concern, I have a lot of concern around, around the elderly. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm 58 now and I'm thinking, you know, I haven't had a social life in a few years because Italy was so hard hit from the beginning and we're in a, not a remote place, but we're a little bit rural. So we're not in a city where we can just go out and, and be around a lot of people. Um, and so I think about the elderly who haven't been able to spend time with their families and who haven't, you know, what does that do for their aging process and their mental health? Um, and how does that affect their, their physical health? Um, Yes, absolutely. I mean, you you hear of people that have saved their, their retirement and want to travel, and this is something they've looked forward to and they can't. And the uptick in, in elderly depression is astronomical for sure. Um, but it is key for depression to have a routine. Of course, it's so hard. You don't want to get out of bed, but keeping up with those routines, being able to do some sort of exercising. And what I always tell my clients too, is like, even just to go back to the basics, are you drinking enough water? Are you seeing sunlight? Are you, of course, I'm not a dietitian. I would never tell anyone what to eat, but are you also adding and eating the fruits and vegetables? Like, are you taking care of yourself um, first and foremost, um, which is, which is super hard when you're not feeling up to it but right because we reach for what's comfortable what's comforting 
Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think also, you know, you, you hear about uh, sleep hygiene, which I hate that word because it's nothing to do with being dirty, but <laughs> sleep hygiene is so important. Going to bed, you know, following that same routine every night, whatever it is, making the lights lower, making it cooler, brushing your teeth at the same time, whatever. But it's also the social media hygiene. And I don't know if that plays a part with the elderly, but maybe, you know, just being on the television and watching the news and really cutting back on that constant news coming at all different directions at any second. And I think that could be really, really, really unhealthy. And I know we're all addicted to, to social media and our phones, but um, for those that are depressed, it's so important to really cut back and anxiety too. Well, and I can, and I can say, you know, from personal experience, my father is um, in the late stages of Alzheimer's and he has enough moments of clarity where he can, you know, converse and he remembers who we are and all of that. But my brother is with him in Florida and it is impossible to detach him from the TV and Fox news. And he's just been constant with, with the news and, and the war in the Ukraine. And, and it's, I know it's affecting him because he's been having all kinds of behavior issues. Um, hmm. you know, and I, I don't see it firsthand, but I hear about it regularly from my brother. And I think, especially with the elderly, they, they stick to what they know and that kind of toxic input mm. create has to create toxic output. It can't be, it can't be healthy. No, absolutely. I, um, I have one client in particular and she was getting all these alerts on her phone and it really helped her to like shut off every alert, even the alert of text, the alert of it, because you don't realize how much when you hear that Bing or, you know, whatever, some Google news is and you, your heart rate changes, everything changes. You can't focus on the present because, oh wait, there's something dinging. I need to, and it's so unhealthy, so unhealthy. And I, something else something else i've noticed um being at home all this time too and this is i don't think i'm alone in this is that if i don't keep a tidy space and i i call it visual noise when there's mm -hmm. clutter around i can't i can't focus mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what i'm doing it's even if i'm focused on what i'm doing it's there like i just i know it's there it's it's nagging at me no, but when we get, and I, I think especially when, when people are feeling, dealing with depression, that's a hard thing to maintain as well, to, to keep a tidy, clean space that's organized and, and simple and clear and feels good to be in. Yeah. yeah like what can I, can, you know, not tying it into the eating disorder conversation, yeah. we're talking about it's something you can control. Like I can control my space and I need that need. Um, but what's interesting is there are people, believe it or not, that kind of thrive in chaos, which, you know, I'm with you. <laughs> I like everything nice and neat before I can kind of do anything. But there are people that kind of thrive in chaos too, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, having something that you can control when the whole world is out of control is important. And I, and I think also recognizing what those, what those different spheres are, what can we control? What can we influence and what do we have total control over? And I, you know, I'm a nutrition nutritionist and a nutrition coach. And so, you know, I, I, I do that exercise with my clients because they, they're like, I don't know, I just can't stop binging at night or whatever it is. It's like, okay, let's look at those spheres of control. And we use that food as a coping mechanism. And I'm not a therapist and I don't, 
you know, profess to know anything about therapy and, and recommend it if they need it. But when you look at what can we control, what can we control our actions and our behaviors? That's it. Mm -hmm. We can control to a certain extent our thoughts because we can decide to shift them, but we can't necessarily control what comes out from our subconscious mind, what comes from our, our, um, what do I want to say? Conditioning or life conditioning. Mm-hmm. So we can't control that specifically, but we can control our response when we learn how to, but the things we can control are our actions and our behaviors. And so mm-hmm. when you know that, and when you can acknowledge that and then take responsibility for that, it becomes so much easier to let go of all that other stuff that's just sitting on your shoulders. <laughs> and that, I mean, you keyed into the exact thing. You know, people come to me and they, they their husband, their boyfriend, their feminine, they want to control them or they, they can't stand what they're doing. And that's exactly it. The only two things you can control are your thoughts and your behaviors. So your attitude towards them and how you're thinking towards them is what changes everything and your behavior towards whatever it is. That's the only thing we really have control over. And yeah, we want to control everything, um, but we don't. We only have control of our thoughts and behaviors. And, um, you know, the other thing too is that the only constant really is change that the really the only thing that you can rely on all the time is things are always changing and so shifting your mindset and your behaviors for you know things that come your way so if somebody if somebody feels like you know they're they're just having those experiences those those symptoms or those thoughts where it just feels like it's all a bit too much i mean what what are you what do you suggest? Obviously seek out a therapist, but what, what would be some first steps for people to, to look for? What, what are some resources they can look for and, and how could they find you? Okay. Um, meaning when their thoughts are out of control, feeling anxious. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I always recommend journaling. Um, I always recommend, and this might sound silly, is maybe writing a letter to that person, not that you're ever giving it to them, but writing a letter to that person, writing a letter to your younger self um, Mm -hmm. to kind of get those feelings out is is super important. The waking up with gratitude, making sure all those basic needs are met. Um, I do actually have a book coming out called you know, the boss of me and it has all these tips and techniques and journal prompts it's sort of more like a workbook journal book um which i'm hoping will be really helpful it's sort of geared towards teens but everybody has their inner teen that you want to get control over um but as far as and what is it called what is the book called um, again it's actually at the publisher right now so i don't even know if i'm supposed to really say but um uh you're not the boss of me by Stacy Boyer. Um, and it should be out this summer. I'm super excited about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I could also be reached at namastacy, N-A-M-A-S-T-A-C-I-E.net. Um, and of course on my podcast, I have tons of tips, deep breathing techniques, you know, and that's something when you're talking about the anxiety or those thoughts getting in the way, taking a break, it's okay to walk, whatever it is, going to the bathroom, take a walk outside, taking that deep breath through your nose, getting it into your stomach, because lots of times we deep breathe wrong. You want to make sure that air goes all the way to your stomach, out, hold it there, maybe say a mantra or tell yourself something kind and then blow it out as slowly as possible through your lips. Um, all the grounding techniques are on there. Different breathing techniques um, are really, really important. And I think 
talking to someone too, whether, you know, sometimes it is just a friend or a family member, um, but knowing it's okay to reach out to a therapist, which sometimes is the hardest part, the actually making that phone call or that email. But um, I could almost guarantee you'll be glad uh, that you did. And like I said in the beginning, not every therapist, I think I mentioned that, is right for you. Mm-hmm. So it's okay if you meet someone and you don't feel that connection or it's like not, it's okay to find somebody else. You're not stuck uh, with that person. So find someone you feel comfortable with um, and that you can kind of talk to. That's great. Yeah. And I think like Johnny said earlier, you know, we're taught to, you know, suck it up. Don't ever let them see you sweat, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I say this even to my clients as well, when it comes to the nutrition, don't go it alone. There's no reason to go it alone. It's okay to ask for help. And it's just a sign of strength to say, you know what, I can't do everything. Absolutely. I think that's more of a sign of strength to admit to that than really holding it all in because it does come out. It comes out in other ways, whether it's anger, whether it's fear, which fear is really anger disguised um, or, you know, a multitude of other ways. So it's so important to to let it out. And it might just start by writing it down in a journal. Maybe, you know, you're not ready yet to talk to someone, but getting it out is important. Yeah. I, I remember writing about that in a blog post I wrote about grief. I said, Grief is going to come to visit and you, if you allow it to pass through you, if you allow yourself to sit with it and experience it and find ways to deal with it, it will, it will process a lot more easily and quickly because if you just keep stuffing it down, it will come out in a manner that you don't get to choose and you may not like it when it does. No, that's wonderful. And that it reminds me of meditation. I mean, there's two theories that, you know, just letting the thought go. But another one is really sitting with it. Like, why am I really anxious right now? Like, am I really mad at that person? Or is it something deeper? So sometimes sitting with it um, is really important too. Tara Brock has a wonderful way to do that. And it's called the RAIN um it's part of our mindfulness practice but r is to recognize i is to investigate or a is to attend to it to attend to that emotion to be aware to accept it um i is to investigate as you mentioned to investigate where did this come from what are these core beliefs is it real and is it true mm-hmm. because those are two very different things yeah. and the n in rain is to nurture it to nurture that feeling, not to suppress it, not to let it go, um, but to allow it and see if you can sit with it enough to let it go. But if it's still holding a part of you, at least nurture. And in that way, you're able to separate that feeling, that ego-ness from yourself and knowing that that's a feeling, but that's not me. I am not that feeling, but I can nurture that feeling. That's the way that I feel. I feel angry, I feel disappointed, I feel uh, depressed. But the more that you're able to nurture that, to attend to it, to investigate it, you're able to separate it from yourself. And if at all you feel comfortable after spending a week, a month, a year on this, easier to let it go because you have the relationship with it. You can sit with it. I love that and I follow her as well. She's, that's amazing. And I, you know, just to like talk about that as far as um, like anxiety with children, I guess with adults too, when you said not 
it's not you and that's exactly it and sometimes we do an activity where you almost name it like you give your anxiety or depression name the monster the you know bob whatever and you can sense that it's coming and that's not me this isn't me this isn't who i want to be i feel bob coming and i need to do whatever it takes to to keep him or her you know at bay even if it's a debilitating disease that's overwhelming you that's destroying you um you know sometimes you have to give it a name when it comes to you and although you can't separate it from yourself because that physically becomes you, you're debilitated by it. There's still a way of nurturing it to still separate that. That's not my triumph itself. That's not who I'm going to be. And it's not going to overwhelm and overwash me towards who I truly am and who I truly am becoming. From, from a nutrition perspective, there's one, a favorite saying, kind of a meme that I saw once, I'm sorry, the sun has come around all of a sudden. Um, you know, people say, I, I always tell my clients, be very careful of the words that follow I am because your brain is listening. And so I hear, I, I say, you know, people say I'm fat. I say, you're not fat. You have fat. You also have fingernails, but you're not fingernails. Right. And it's the same thing with our thoughts and feelings. We have thoughts, we have feelings, but they are not us. They don't define who we are. So I love that idea of separating and giving it a name, right? Like it's this thing rather than I'm this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it all is based on on kindness and being kind to ourselves and asking yourself, what do I need right now? You know, why am I feeling this way? I need something right now and I need to be kind to myself right now, which, you know, hopefully then that energy spills out to the rest of the world. Yeah. Not to get philosophical, but, you know, to spread kindness everywhere. Hey, we're all in the woo-woo. So okay. you oh, yeah. can in the woo-woo no, as know, much as you want. You. But we, yeah, being kind to yourself, which ultimately means kind to everybody. So We, we are energetic beings and we take that in for, that's around us. And we also give out that that's within us. And so make it worth giving and getting. Yeah, I love it. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Is there? Do you have any... You know, any last thoughts you want to share with our listeners I, um, today? This has been such a great conversation. Well, thank you again so much for having me. And I think the number one thing is maybe to, to wake up with gratitude, just to kind of set your tone for the rest of the day. Um, I love the idea of journaling. I love the idea of reaching out to others. Um, but most importantly, I love that you guys are kind of putting this out here to the world, um, mental health, which is so important. So I really appreciate that. And thank you. 